It's never an easy thing moving from the theoretical to real experience in life. Uh, you know, it's, it's one thing uh, to have golf for dummies and then actually go out there and try and swing the club. It's, it's one thing to uh, uh, maybe to have attended a few classes uh, there on post and then to actually jump after, out of the plane. Uh, it's one thing to have a book or two or three or ten on parenting and then to actually have children uh, worlds apart between the theory and the practice. Um, this, this principle applies also in, in peacemaking and conflict resolution and doing relationship with one another. Um, there's the theory and then there's the practice. Um, I mean, it does entail... It doesn't take much to see in the scriptures. It does entail repentance and confession and forgiveness. And those things sound great. They're hard. They're hard. Uh, the gap, again, between the theory and the practice. Well, I, mean, I, th I think it's safe to say that, especially when it comes to our own personal lives, that we have to say, maybe even at times but with tears, we know better than we do. We know better than we do. So how do we bridge the gap? How do we bridge this gap? In particular in terms of doing relationships and conflict and biblical peacemaking and, and all of that. How do we bridge that gap between the theory and the practice? Well, Philippians 4, we're picking up in our, in our series uh, the study that we've been doing here in the book of Philippians. And you may remember last week we were just sticking our toes there in chapter 4, just kind of getting going. Paul is, is addressing a conflict that's taking place there in the midst of this church between two women and uh, calling in a third person to try and coach them and mediate and, and assist them in, in this. Uh, so right there in the very earliest days of the church, we, we have this, and that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, these are human beings, flesh and blood, feet of clay like, like any of us. Um, and so what Paul is getting at here, what I want to say is at the outset is... The, the principles here apply not just to interpersonal issues that we might have within our own ranks in this body, but in our homes, as spouses, or as parents with our children, or as siblings, or in-laws, or, or neighbors. or it's, it's as wide as human relationships go, uh, the principles that we're going to be looking at here over these next few minutes. So... If you have a Bible with you, I'd just encourage you now to turn to this book that we refer to as the Book of Philippians, but of course it originally was a letter uh, that the Apostle Paul is writing from a Roman jail cell back to this group of people in a city called Philippi, a group of people that in a church that he had planted years before that were near and dear to his heart. He knows there's some things going on. He wants to help them, encourage them, assist them in any way that he can. So Philippians 4 if you haven't found it yet, um, I've stalled as much as I could to help you get there. But let me just help you now. One, one last try. Um, after the Gospels and Acts and Romans and the Corinthian letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Okay, So um, Philippians chapter 4 is, is where we are. We're on the home stretch here on this, this study. And uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to go on past the point where we left off last week. Last week we were looking at verses 1 through 3. We're going to go past that and on through verse 9, but I do want to start in verse 1. So Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9. 
Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together for a moment. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for... um, the life that you breathe into us through your Spirit uh, operating in, by your Word. Uh, we, we need this more than we know. Uh, perhaps some of us here this morning are feeling just fine as far as their relationships go. Uh, we pray that you would uh, protect us from being so naive as to think that we won't need uh, this, or perhaps maybe we need it even now as comfortably as we may feel. Maybe we need this more than we think. Uh, For those of us who feel themselves to be in turmoil in relationships, in whatever sphere that may be, we pray that you would use this to instruct us and guide us and help us and convict us and encourage us. And thank you again uh, that that you know our mess and uh, you knew that full well um, when you worked through the Apostle Paul to write these very words, knowing that it wasn't just going to be the church in Philippi that needed such counsel and instruction, it would be us too. And uh, so we ask that you'd help us here. Amen. Well, if if, again, I'm going to back up just a little bit. If if you've ever really assessed what's involved in conflict resolution and peacemaking, uh, it's it's a daunting one. It's uh, something kind of like what you read about in John Bunyan, but different, Pilgrim's Progress, of hill difficulty. But I'm going to play with that analogy. It's like... You know, when you consider that there's a lot of heart stuff going on in, in my going to you and you're coming to me and are trying to work things out together, uh, it's, it's sort of like this, this hill that we know we have to climb, but it's, a, it's a, of a steep grade, no matter what role, what part we have to play in that. And so you really have three choices before you as you're facing that, that grade. You can take the secular approach, and that is to dumb it down what Paul says here, take, just dumb it down. Well, he, did he really mean that? I'm not sure. And so we're going to kind of play fast and loose a little bit with what he's saying there. Or another approach would be the moralistic approach, and that is to say, well, I hear what he's saying, but I'm not going to deal with the heart issues. I'm just going to you know, dot the I's, cross the T's. I'm not really going to lean into the spirit in terms of hell, because I can do this myself. Thank you very much. And that's then going to lead to carnage and brokenness just as much as the other approach because we will fail and we will become jaded and cynical about everything that's here. There's a third way, and it's the only way, and it's the gospel way, the Christian approach, and that is to hear what Paul is saying here, 
take it to heart, and lean hard in dependence upon the Holy Spirit to lead us all the way, every step of the way, and know God's blessing uh, over the course of, of obeying Him. Here's the thing. Conflict has this nasty way of exposing our hearts. A nasty way of exposing what's there, of, of taking what was on the surface and just stripping it bare and showing us what's been going on down deep within us. And, and there's something of that going on here in the book of Philippians. Paul's been building up to this point of uh, and he's addressed the issue of conflict in a, in a general sort of way, and now he's moving in sort of like a bird of prey. He's been circling, circling, bam! Here he hits it right here, knowing that he's got to, to address this at some point. Um, we talked about this last week. I mean, he's got these two parties directly involved, Iodia and Syntyche. Clearly, these two gifted women, leaders in the church. It, it's reading between the lines. It seems quite clear. Uh, this is a blind spot, though. So he's imploring them to, to, to... There's got to be some confession. There's got to be some repentance. There's got to be some forgiveness. There's a third party at the same time. The name of this person we don't know. Um, every, apparently everybody else there would have known, um, calling them to come alongside and, and coach these women, assist these women, mediate this whole thing. And then, that's verses 1 through 3, and then verses 4 through 9, there's the whole church. Because this is not isolated. This is not, we talked about this last week, this is not just two people. Well, okay, two people and a third. It's the whole body. These are members of, of a body. And so the whole body is involved in this. And that's what verses 4 through 9 is about. It's every bit as much about that conflict as verses 1 through 3 are. Verses 4 through 9 here, Philippians 4, are not just like just extraneous last-minute things that Paul had meant to say sometime in the course of the letter, and he just throws them on like you know pearls at the end of a string. They're integrated into this whole context. Uh, and it's, it's worth understanding that. Again, peacemaking is difficult. It's hard. Again, it's like that hill that, that, we've, that needs to be climbed, but of a steep, steep grade, and it's hard for anybody involved, everyone involved. It's going to be hard for Yodi and Syntyche, the two people right in the middle. It's going to be hard for this third person, this true companion, whoever that was. And it's going to be hard in some way for everyone else involved. But the hill needs to be climbed. And the Lord in His love for us shows us just how to do that. I've got an acronym I've worked up uh, to try and help us remember some of this. Um, R-E-N-E-W. You may see that there in your outline. Uh, it's five. Um, renew is the idea. Rejoice in the Lord. Express gentleness. Negate anxiety with prayer. Uh, evaluate charitably and work it out. Five points. I'm going to go fast. Uh, and by the way, every one of these five, I was thinking about that even last night, is almost like, I, I feel like we've, we kind of get into this passage, and it's like you've walked into a mine, and, and there's, there's precious gems everywhere, and you could go down any one of these five shafts of these points here and spend a long time drilling. We're not going to go down into any of those shafts too deeply. It's kind of like we're in the, the ante room, sort of, and we're looking, peeking. In, into each one. And I'd encourage you maybe even to spend more time drilling on your own as you go. But let's look at this. Christ, He has called us to pursue peace. He's also calling us to do it in the way He's shown us. 
And he's showing us here uh, in these five things. He's called us to peace and he's showing us the way, showing us the path that we might scale this hill. Verse 4. Verse 4 is the first point. Um, It is so completely counterintuitive in the context of conflict to hear this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I guess because we have to hear this because it's so counterintuitive. The next thing is, again, I will say rejoice. Well, I guess it needs it bared repeating. Negatively stated, what is Paul trying to say here? What is he calling us towards? This joy. This is not, if you remember the old film, Pollyanna. Um, this is not a Pollyannish joy, just all surface, like we are when we come in here on Sunday morning oftentimes. You know, that, that magical thing, like you've had the fight, you've had the row on Sunday morning, trying to get here, trying to get here, and then it's like that thing happens. You arrive in the parking lot, and it's all smiles. Right? Am I just making this up? Has this happened to anybody? I won't ask for a show of hands. Okay, so it's not a Pollyanna joy that's just all surface with no depth, nor is it a um, a passing joy that just sort of is, is like like a I don't know like a just a candle that's it's just gone. It's that's not what Paul's after. It's it's rather positively stated. Again, verse four: Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is a deeper joy that's not grounded or anchored into circumstances that are just changing all the time, but it is deep contentment in Christ, in the gospel, bound, tied, anchored to Him. And so it's a deeper kind of joy. It's, it's, it's contingent not on just what's going on at the moment, but on who he is and what he has done for us, then that is not changing. And it abides in there, and it's a lasting joy. He doesn't change. The circumstances do, but he does not. And so it's, uh, he, that joy, if you will, the potential for it is always there. He is always there. If we will but turn our eyes towards him. Um, what, what Paul is calling for here is, is an attitude, a change of attitude, or a renewed agenda that's based in, in, on Christ. You could call it practical worship, I suppose, if you want to. Uh, grounded in, 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 in our eyes, fixed on Him. Or you want to think back to chapter 2, what he said here, for instance, verses uh, 5 through 9, in the context of talking about sort of setting the stage for where, where we are now in chapter 4, where Paul writes... Chapter 2, starting in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, if you're meditating and, and your soul is marinating in that, Imagine the impact that can have on how you're approaching a conflict with another person. This is what he's done for you. This is what he's done for you. You see, the, the reality, I know in my own experience, and I can only assume I'm not alone, it's, in your, it's yours too. When we are having issues one with another, we have no room for God in our thoughts. Who's in this fight? Me and him. Me and her. Where's God? I don't know. There's no room for him in there. And so Paul is calling us to rejoice in the Lord, to to remember the gospel, uh, 
that then we might be able to be reconciled. There might then be repentance. There might then be, there might then be the possibility of confession and forgiveness. But how, what am I to rejoice in? Well, think with me just for a minute, specifically. Lord, I am so thankful that in the midst of this, for your forgiveness of me and what I have done to contribute to this and your forgiveness of them. I am so thankful for the transformative power of the gospel at work even in my life, even in this moment, even in these circumstances, and in theirs. I am so thankful for that. I am, so, I am amazed that perhaps even in, even in this, as nasty and ugly and as painful as this is, there is an opportunity here for the gospel to be shown forth for the glory of Christ to be demonstrated to a watching world. I am thankful for that. You can keep going. You get the idea. To stay on this path of peace, this difficult path, to make it up that hill, it begins with rejoicing. Rejoicing in the Lord. Secondly, I'm pushing on into verse 5, and this is no easier. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now again, what is Paul getting at here? Well, this word um, reasonableness, it's a difficult one in the Greek to translate. Now, ESV, that's the way it's translated. I love the ESV, um, it, but it's hard to grasp in the English. The NIV, some of you may be reading out of that, translates it as gentleness. And that kind of captures it too. Maybe you can think of it as a reasonable gentleness or a gentle, reason, gentle reasonableness. Um, the idea is there's forbearance. There's a generosity here. It's not. Uh, it's, it's the opposite of irritability. It's the opposite of, of a rudeness. It's Christ-likeness. This gentle reasonableness and reasonable gentleness. And why? Why is that so vital? Think about this. Why is that so vital in the, in the context of, of conflict? Well, my goodness, what would that protect us against? Think of how that would be the break that would keep us from sliding into the ditch of yet what of a harsh thing, I might say, or do. But Paul takes us beyond that and, and gives us uh, a promise. Let your reasonableness, how do we translate that? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That's what allows for that. The Lord is at hand, and in this case, probably not so much, though it's part of it, not so much his future return, but his present presence. The Lord is at hand. Let your gentle reasonableness, your reasonable gentleness, be evident to everyone. The Lord is with you. He's with you right now in this. You have but to lean in Him, to cry out to Him, to, to look to Him for help. The Lord is at hand. Let this be evident, that attitude, that heart's attitude, be evident to all. It may well therein give us the, the, the ability to see that conflict as an opportunity for love and service instead of just a fight. To recognize that maybe what's been said to you, what's been done to you, and however ill or rightly deserving you were, maybe that circumstance could be an opportunity for you to, to stop and think for a minute. Maybe what they did, maybe what they said is a symptom of some pain in their life. Maybe. And maybe that's a direction for me to move to love and serve and care for them. 
stay on the path, to stay on the path, it's going to take uh, not just the rejoicing in the Lord, but expressing this gentleness, this reasonableness. Thirdly, Paul moving on through the, the way we make it up this hill, uh, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Negate anxiety with prayer, or replace, if you want to do it that way, replace anxiety with prayer. Here's the command. Paul is, get this, Paul is forbidding worry. He is forbidding anxiety. He's forbidding our fretting that, that comes about. But now you may be wondering, well, how does that fit in the course of a conflict or, or you know, some interpersonal issue? I've got one with another. Well, how do you respond, right? What's driving a lot of our response oftentimes is that anxiety and that fear and that worry. You know, I don't want to be exposed. That might be one. I don't want to be found out. I don't want, them, I don't want anyone to know how I really feel and what I really did. Or it might be in the course of this, my reputation might be ruined. My name might be sullied. And so I'm going to build up my defenses and get defensive. Or maybe I'm going to come charging out on the attack because I'm scared. I'm really, it's just I'm scared. And so Paul is saying, okay, you can attack but I want you to attack your worry and your fear with prayer. Um, and in that, he says, will come this peace. It's a remarkable promise. Um, it, it really is. Verse 7 again. And the peace, as this prayer is taking place, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The image is of, it's a military image, and I've talked, you've heard me say this before in this series, that the, the, the city of Philippi was a Roman colony, uh, initially colonized by many, many retired Roman soldiers, no few of which, and of course just the citizenry of the city certainly had a, an ear and an understanding of this kind of image that Paul is using here, of, of a garrison, of a fortress of some kind. And, and there, are, there are some who are standing guard, standing watch, keeping everyone else inside safe so they can rest. They've got it. They've got their eyes open and, sh and, and swords at the ready so everyone inside can breathe, can rest. And that's the, the, the picture here. Uh, this, this peace of God, and it's beyond understanding. The world cannot explain it. It cannot explain it away. Somehow guarding hearts and minds. What Paul, in essence, is saying here, he's saying, I want you to be anxious about nothing by praying about everything. And in particular, in the context of a conflict. I want you to be anxious about nothing because you're praying about everything. Or put it another way. Uh, worry and prayer are as opposed to one another as fire and water. Now, there's something to be said in that and something to be noticed in that, and that would be we can't just, you see, stop worrying. 
That's insanely naive to, to tell someone that or to, to think that. I'm just going to stop worrying. I'm just going to will peace. I'm going to make myself peaceful. That's not the way it works. Uh, it has to be replaced. The worry has to be extruded. It has to be pushed out. Something else has to take its place. And Paul is saying here, as you spend time with your Lord, with Jesus in prayer and communication with Him and in His Word, the worry will be extruded and peace will move in. Actually, peace is pushing it out. Um, and perhaps even as that peace within is coming and beginning to get settled, it has a way of encouraging peace between us to come about all the better. Because we're, you know, more subtle within there and able to come alongside each other. Okay, the third point, again, being to stay on the path of this peacemaking. We have to learn to replace, negate our anxiety with prayer. Fourthly, evaluating charitably. Verse 8, and again, this is another, mind, another shaft. We could be going deeply, deeply down, and it is no more natural than the other three that we've mentioned. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, as generally speaking, you can take this passage, and it's fine if you want to do that. You know, Take it, I don't want to... Well, just take it as a general principle of needing to have our minds soaked in the things of God all the time that we might think His thoughts after Him. As a general principle, this text does point us in that direction. However, looking at it in its context gets us a little bit more sharper, a little bit more specific in terms of what Paul is after here. And that is to evaluate the other person in a charitable fashion thinking such thoughts about them, not just generally, but about them and about our relationship with them. And you think, what, what, why? What was our tendency? What's your tendency? What's mine in the course of a conflict? We have this warped perspective of one another, like, like we're looking at each other through fun house, fun house, well, mirrors, that doesn't quite work, but you get the idea, distorted lenses. Uh, we, we, we fixate on one another's faults and all they've done wrong, right? You never, you always, right? And that's what we get fixated on. That's what we concentrate on. We misjudge then everything they say, everything they do, and every attitude and motivation that could have ever have driven that. And maybe everything they ever did in their whole life. Because now... We have this warped perspective, and what comes out of that warped perspective are hurtful responses that, again, is all born of a caricature that we've built up in our minds about them. And Paul is saying, no, no, recover your spiritual sanity. We need to see clearly, see clearly. Now, Paul's not asking for, you know, again, Pollyannish rose-colored glasses but neither is he saying we should be looking at each other through this tunneled vision where all I can see is, hell, you're wrong. You know, and what, what you did to me and, and why I'm hurt and, and all of that. Um, put it another way, to move forward 
in our relationship to move towards, which means we're going to have to move towards each other. We've got to be able to see clearly. And that's what we're being called to here. Now, again, I would say, just like I said a moment ago, just just replacing, just saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to think better of you, is is not really going to do it. Um, You children of the 80s may remember the Just Say No campaign, Uh, the uh, war on drugs from the Reagan administration. Just Say No. Great idea. Very naive. You cannot just say no. It does not work that way in anything. You have to have a big yes before you can say no to anything. So before you can say no, you've got to have a bigger yes. I mean, it's, it's why. It's why, for instance, it's why everyone rightly was, well, those who, anyway. Um, during the Arab Spring, a year or two, whatever it was ago, you know, people watching all that, those kinds of things unfold were rightly nervous. That's why in Iraq today, Understandably, there's some nervousness. What's what's happening? What's transpiring in the Ukraine, in those in these trouble spots of the world? Because oh yeah, fine, one regime that maybe we don't like might have been moved, but what's going to take their place? You see, um, international politics and interpersonal relationships, in both cases, nature abhors a vacuum. Something's moving in. And the question is not if, but what? And and Paul is saying here, we need a bigger yes. We need something that we're saying. If change, for change to take place between you and me, change has to take place in me. Okay? For change to take place between you and me, change has to take place in me, and that's going to mean not just a destruction of old patterns of thinking, but a dispossession of the old patterns of thinking by new ones by new ones, deliberately dwelling on these things as Paul is describing here, the truth, which of course is hard and is antithetical to my impulses and yours, and so we have to work at it, and it's why we have to be told, because you know, if it was natural, it would just be a four-point sermon. (laughs) Okay? Which takes me to the fifth point. So we're rejoicing in the Lord, expressing gentleness, negating anxiety with prayer, evaluating charitably, and one last one, work it out. Work it out. Verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now by work it out, I mean what Paul is saying here. Practice it. Put it into practice. Live it out. Live out the gospel. He's he's giving us a command here, a command that he's already given earlier in the letter back in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul is saying it's not enough to be hearers of the word. Yes, we need to be students of the Bible. Yes, we need to be spending time in it daily. But that's not enough. We're not to be just hearers. We are to be doers of the Word. And what Paul is saying is specifically in this context, as we do so, again, there's a rich promise. I don't know if you caught how incredibly, beautifully, wondrously this promise is that Paul has coupled into verse 9. 
It's not just, as he said in verse 7, the peace of God being with you. He's saying in verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. He's saying there's a connection here between your experience of this vibrancy of life as He intends for you to have and God's very presence with you you're in a felt, enhanced sort of way, hard to describe, that and, and by walking this path. Or, or something akin to what we were reading from Psalm 33 earlier. Um, you know, that, that wonderful imagery of as we're dwelling in unity and that, ref, that beautiful image of the oil and, and the dew and all of that and life and blessing being commanded in that context. Well, look, I mean, in essence, what Paul is saying here, look, I know you want this garrison. I know you want this, this, this peace guarding you. I know that. I know that you want to have this sense of, of, of spirit enriched and dwelling and transform, transformation going on in your relationship, something where God's glory and the gospel is being manifested in your life and in the lives of the people around you. In your I know that. You know who wants that more than you do? Jesus does. And Paul is saying here, okay, okay, there are no shortcuts to that. You have to walk in his ways. You have to walk in his ways. If you want to know this peace, you have to walk in his ways. Follow me as I follow him, is what he is saying. This hill is, is steep and arduous, and he's showing us the way to climb. Um, so just kind of wrapping this up real quickly. Pursuing this peace. Whatever the context is, whatever the relationship is, whatever the dynamics is, you want to think in terms of, of here, in, this, in our midst, in the, within the local church, or in our homes, or extended families, or you know, fractured friendships, or whatever the case is. It is hard. I mean, memories of what happened keep cropping up. Old ways of relating to one another are hard to deal with. They're like nasty habits. We regress, we leak, we forget. So do they. Then there's the dynamics of the world, the flesh, and the devil ever, ever, ever in play. So what are we going to do? The Lord has called us to peace, to walk in peace, but He's showing us the steps. He's showing us the way up the hill. And the great encouragement among many things in this text is, you understand, he's not just calling us to peace and saying, now you go do it. You go figure it out. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm showing you. I'm showing you this path. I'm with you on this path, and I'm going to help you on this path. And you know what? Our Lord knows very well how hard it is. He knows very well. He has to live with us, by the way. He knows very well how hard it is to live with, at peace with people who really don't want it. He is someone we can go to Him again and again and again and again and ask for the help and know that we will receive it. We have but to ask. Let's, let's do that now. Let's pray. Lord, we, we know You know. We know You know. You have experienced conflict in ways we can't even imagine. Um, 
You are indeed the Prince of Peace, the ultimate peacemaker. So Lord, this morning, wherever in this uh, matrix we may find ourselves as the offended or the offender or the coach or the mediator or those just part of the supporting cast who are nonetheless still affected, oh, we pray that you would help us hear the gospel promises, be encouraged by these promises, uh, reminded again that you are with us, going with us, helping us, guiding us, empowering us. Pray that you help us not to play these things down, but to look at them in the eye and, and be encouraged to know that as steep as that hill is to climb, you are with us all the way. We pray that for ourselves and, and help us to examine our hearts, examine our lives, examine our relationships and consider maybe, perhaps, where you're calling us to apply these things in specific ways, even this week. We ask these things in your name. Amen.